This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression. This podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host and perinatal mental health certified psychologist, Dr. Kat Kayani. On our episode today, we are talking about parental burnout. Our guest, Shelly Kemmerer, is the founder of Run Tell Mom. She is a licensed physician assistant and certified in parental burnout prevention. She helps parents and caregivers with live-in children navigate transitions through their parenting journey. She offers personalized, customizable resources, collaborative workshops, and masterclasses with the goal to optimize a parenting experience while filling the space beyond clinical care. Shelly's going to share with us her perspective on parental burnout in the United States and how to support new parents to prevent burnout. So let's meet Shelly. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited for you to talk about um, the things that you're passionate about, parental burnout and a bunch of the other work that you do. I know you have a really big presence on social media and you're helping a lot of people that way. So yeah, if you can give us some more details about what you do and what your passion is and what you're going to talk to us about today. Sure. So my name is Shelly. I am the founder of Rental Mom. I'm a parental resource consultant and also a workshop facilitator. And I'm a licensed physician assistant and I'm certified in parental burnout. I got that training as of this year at the Training Institute for Parental Burnout. So I work from a preventative resource-based standpoint. So you know, people always ask me like, what does a parental wellness consulting company do? Well, it's kind of a, I guess it's a new thing. It's something that I've created based on what has kind of occurred through the pandemic. You know, we prioritize parental well-being. So we examine the modifiable and not modifiable factors within the home and the professional ecosystem. So I'm kind of like a research and gather practical resource person. So I Mm. look into Mm -hmm. things for the family based on what the family needs. And I listen to their particular family situation, what they're searching for. And based on that, I curate a resource plan for them to utilize throughout their parenting journey. 
Oh, that sounds awesome and extremely useful. Uh, How did you come to understand that this kind of resource was needed? So for me, after I had, who's now my my four-year-old son, after I had him, I kind of noticed this shift in between having a newborn baby to everything else that happens thereafter, all the changes that occur, you know, physically, emotionally, the needs within the house, how your relationship to your partner changes. And through that and being, you know, a licensed provider and a patient, I kind of fell between the line of how can we optimize things so that we can provide these resources? And also, what does the patient need? Or what are some of the questions that are being asked that might not necessarily fall into the lap of, you know, an obstetrician or a Mm -hmm. pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And so I created that I created this business based on some of those questions that we didn't know, you know, who, who should be answering these things. That's interesting because you, I mean, you have a very specific perspective too, being a physician's assistant, kind of knowing how things work um, on the medical side mm-hmm. and then the experience of being a parent to a new little, what it feels like to be on the kind of patient side. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine that gave you a real depth of like being able to see what is missing. Yeah, I, I felt like, you know, the the birth of my son, I remember this moment of packing him up and putting him in the car after being in the hospital for a few days and sitting in the car and looking at him and thinking, what do I do now? Right, <laughs> like, it right. was just like this sobering moment of sitting in the car and thinking, okay, well, now I take him home. Mm-hmm. But what are all the next steps? And I guess having that kind of weighted kind of conversation with myself and, you know, how, how can I be you know, the best parents of my child, what kind of environment do I want to cut out and carve out for my child? What are some of the things that I need to be teaching him throughout all the stages of his life? And there was just so many questions that I kind of had that I felt like having a clinical degree didn't really address these things. They address Mm -hmm. all the physiological Mm -hmm. changes, which is fascinating and and wonderful. But then there's all the other stuff that we really don't talk about. But now it seems like we're starting to see more and more on social media, which is great that people are sharing. Oh, sure. Of the kind of on the ground realities of of parenting. Yeah. How the expectation versus reality, they're totally two different feelings and two different sentiments. You know, sometimes parents feel very lonely, even in a world where there are tons of parents, you feel very lonely and isolated, um, you know, making sure that you're doing the right thing. There's a lot of societal pressure to make sure that you're that specific type of parent. And so in thinking about all that, I started thinking, well, how do we build a community based on this need? And how can we collaborate with other individuals to strengthen the information behind this stuff and sharing stories and sharing resources, things that are research based. And so for the platform, at least for the social media platform, that was really a goal to build that up and have collaborative discussions with other like minded individuals, other providers, other, you know, supportive specialists in in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Both from like the medical side and other sides as well. Yes, I really thought that was of utmost importance because you know, as I speak to parents and I kind of explore like what are some of the things that you would want to ask people that you're not entirely sure that you should be asking, and a lot of it is finding connection. Um, you know, for finding these support circles 
wondering if if they should be feeling the way that they're feeling, finding, you know, a therapist, talking about what reproductive psychiatry is. I mean, all of these things. And mm-hmm. I, I don't even need to provide the medical advice because I don't, I provide the resource, but mm-hmm. it's questions like that, that people have, mm-hmm. they don't know whether or not they should be asking, you know, something like a midwife or um, a doula or or a pediatrician. And so a lot sure. of these discussions end up becoming between parent and provider. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious from your professional perspective, while you were going through your own personal experience, um, were there things that were like glaring to you or very clear to you that, well, I guess that maybe you either you needed help with, and then you found out that other people needed help with, do you know what mm. I'm saying? Do you know what yeah. I'm asking? Like, yeah, your yeah. Pers- how your personal experience affected this? So from a provider's perspective and personal, I I just noticed that each visit was very short Mm. and that's Mm -hmm. not at the fault of, uh, for me, I saw an OB, a shared practice. And so for the most part, I saw one OB and sometimes occasionally I would see another, but the visits on average were anywhere from like seven to 10 minutes. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you address during these visits, right? I mean, all the physiological changes making sure that you're physically healthy, but it's all the discussion around how are you mentally doing with all the changes that are occurring? What is occurring with your partner? Does your partner have any questions? So that was one of the first things that I noticed is there's just not enough time to talk about the other important things that are occurring during the transformational period of your life. And then the other one personally was returning back to work after having a newborn and going into the medical field and working at the rate that um, clinicians work at is Mm -hmm. so taxing and can be so exhausting. And there's, you know, there's a lot of emotional exhaustion that exists working in the healthcare field. I mean, you're working, you know, long hours, um, you're dealing with a lot of challenging um, diagnoses. Mm-hmm. There's so many things to take into consideration. And during that period of time, I, I remember trying to pump uh-huh. and I was yeah. just so stressed <laughs> thinking yeah. about, I need to make, you know, I need to have X amount of milk for my baby and my supply plummeted during right. that time. Right. And it was heartbreaking to me. Like mm-hmm. I really felt mm-hmm. that deeply. I felt like a failure, really not being able to supply while working. Mm -hmm. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Well, hey there, busy mama. 
Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yeah, thank you for bringing that in. I appreciate you saying that. It it makes me think of, I I specifically in my practice just happened to meet with a lot of nurses and also teachers who (laughs) work long hours too, but specifically Mm -hmm. nurses and some medical providers that have described what you're describing, that it's, mm-hmm. it's like nearly impossible, even though there are quote unquote laws in place or whatever for, for you to take pump breaks and whatnot. But mm-hmm. the dynamics of the work environment are so fast and quick paced and, you know, you don't always have someone to cover you and all this other stuff that it, I mean, that in and of itself has to lead to burnout that you, you just can't do what you need to do, even at your job. Yeah. And even with the laws that are in place, there's this Mm -hmm. very distinct pressure that exists when, so for instance, if I have X amount of time that I am expected to pump and depending upon where I'm, I'm needing to take that time, Mm -hmm. I would go into an X-ray, an X-ray room Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a specific spot within the facility that I was working at that I Uh should be moving or I was in somebody's office. And so you have people constantly knocking Mm -hmm. or needing Mm -hmm. to use the room. Right. And so this idea that, Hey, somebody could just barge in on me Mm -hmm. on something that I need some, at least for me, I needed a peaceful environment or wanted at least a peaceful environment for 15 minutes to be able to that became very difficult. And then on top of it, you know, going to see patients after that period of time where you're, you know, storing your milk and putting your pumps mm-hmm. away and trying to clean everything up, you're doing that pretty frequently. I was trying to pump um, pretty regularly at that time. It was like every hour and a half or something. And so it really, it had an impact on me because I remember mm-hmm. thinking, is it always going to be this way where I have to make a decision based on oh, what yeah. I need to do mm-hmm. for for my little one versus what I have to do for my profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is tough. I mean, I think you're, as you're thinking about it, I'm like, this This is a huge part of why people, parents, uh, difficulty with the transition. There's just not um, adequate time, mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. for one, off of work, <laughs> but also just if you are going back to work, adequate time to do what you need to take care of, take care of everything. Yeah, that's a huge problem. When I would come home, I remember it was during um, a pretty bad influenza season. I'd come home and, you know, wash, wash my hands, wash my clothes and just be thinking to myself like, oh, you know, I want to make sure that everything's clean and I have the milk that I need for my child. I'm like juggling all of these things and then still coming down from a busy day. And Mm -hmm. so 
there's just a lot I think we put on the backs of parents to balance having the career, being, you know, being able to to teach from home if you're homeschooling kids or if right. they're, you know, learning virtually right now. There's just a lot of expectation. And I think now this is why, you know, we're starting to see burnout in exponential numbers. It's much more difficult now over the past 18 months as we've seen 19 months now sure, yeah. than it was in the past. But the, the curtain has been pulled back now and we can't unsee what we're right. seeing now. Yeah. To the, your point, what do you think are the things that are leading to parental burnout, um, including what you've just mentioned? And why is it yeah. such such a problem um, outside of, you know, including the pandemic, obviously, mm-hmm. but specifically, yeah. What are you seeing? So it's layered like an onion. And I know I've, you know, on our platform, we shared that parenting is like an onion, there's layers to it. Well, this is very similar. So, you know, there was this article that I read in parents recently, and the headline was, new study shows that parental burnout is worse in the United States than most other countries. So Mm -hmm. of course, you know, you see that you're, for me, I saw that and I read it. And this was a study, a pre pandemic study that surveyed roughly, I think it was like 17,000 parents from 42 different countries. Mm-hmm. And they found that United States was roughly at 7.9%. And they pinpointed a few things that I thought were really interesting with respect to why the United States falls into this category. So there's this identification that individualistic cult- cultures tended to experience high burnout prevalence in mm-hmm. comparison to collectivism. So looking at the individual versus the collective. So they're seeing higher burnout prevalence in individualistic cultures. Um, The other thing that was mentioned is perfectionism in parenting and competing against other other parents to have everything in order. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the clean house, the busy social life, the, you know, excelling academically and this like quote unquote, Pinterest, perfect parents and Uh all these kind of expectations, they take a toll on parents. And I think it's, you know, every time you open social media, there's this idea, this curated idea of what the perfect parent should look like. And Mm -hmm. I think that puts a lot of pressure on parents in, in this country in particular. For sure. Absolutely. I don't know what the science is or anything like that on like pre-social media and now, Mm-hmm. in this way, but I, I see it all the time as well. Just this, just pressure and comparison trap that people get into about, how, you know, what they think they should be doing here. And coupled with the fact that we don't have the time, m- meaning like a lot of pay time off parental yes. leave plus also, and also to your point, all this individualism that people don't aren't, I assume aren't getting the help that they need because mm-hmm. either they feel like they have to do it on their own or everyone expects them to do it on their own. Yes. Yes. This whole societal expectation is so high for parents, but the support provided to parents is not commensurate. So we're mm-hmm. expected to balance this stacked plate with mm-hmm. to-dos, hitting productivity goals at work, involving our children in extracurricular activities, keeping a clean home, like I mentioned, and also practicing self-care, which mm-hmm. is a very popular topic right now on social mm-hmm. media is self-care. I have heard from parents that they feel like, you know, the discussion of self-care can be difficult because it's not like parents don't want the self-care. They do right. want the self-care, but they need the time and resources to be able to pr- 
perform self-care in a way that is actually nurturing to them. So sometimes that looks like, you know, taking time off of social media or, you know, beyond just the bubble bath, like actually going and maybe having like a checkup that they've put off for X amount of time or, you know, spending time outside and not being bothered by, you know, different things to do within the household. There's all these different ways that we can perform the Mm self-care, but it's having the time and the resource to actually do it and invest in it. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that point. The, the discrepancy between the pressure to to do all of this and then the actual resources. That's, I Mm -hmm. I hope that's something that people really hear because I, I see that um, you know, and within therapy sessions, that feeling is like very internalized. Like I should be able to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, is that how could you? Because you yeah. don't have the time or or energy right. or support to do those right. things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is all over the place in new parenthood. Mm-hmm. Just trying to balance all those stacked plates, as you said. Yeah. And with parents, depending upon the age of the child, you know, some things might be more taxing than others. So for instance, mm-hmm. if you have, you know, kids who are younger, I remember in the in the beginning of everything, roughly, you know, 17, 16 months ago, I had a two-year-old and my two-year-old is now a four-year-old. And obviously there's a lot of change that occurs between those two periods of time. Right. And it is, for me, I felt like it was physically very busy, mm-hmm. but we, we also have an 11-year-old. And so I felt like the difference in between the two personally was the physical component and the emotional component of right. having to explain to our kids, you know, let's say they're not going back to school or there's mm-hmm. you know, this wave of closures, you hold the grief of your children too. And so right. the layers to it are, you know, it's, yes, it's physically and emotionally demanding to be a parent, but on top of that, we're having to constantly answer to our children. And sometimes we don't have the answers. And so, you know, being able to do all this and perform what we're talking about, like perform the self-care can be difficult because we're also managing having difficult discussions on a regular basis. Change. Yeah. Um, including with your partner, if, if there's a partner Mm -hmm. involved and navigating all that, I think I've seen some articles on the the stereotypical gender roles taking place these days because of COVID, like a lot of women having to stop working and a lot of Mm -hmm. male partners needing to be out of the house or out of the house more. And that creates its own own tension as well. I mean, being COVID specific. Mm -hmm. um, So yes, yeah, there's a lot of upheaval within the whole family system. Yeah. But you know, who ends up taking care of the children, who ends up doing the homework with the kids, who, you know, balances um, things that go on within the household, cleaning out the refrigerator, the, mm-hmm. the lint trap. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all these right. things. And, and we've been addressing it actually recently with this uh, collaboration I did with Scientific Mommy on invisible labor. Mm-hmm. And this discussion now is, it's very topical because we're seeing, you know, not only are mothers leaving the workforce and having to take care of kids. And I'm not saying I'm not painting this with a broad brush, Um, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. basic basing this off of, you know, articles I've been reading recently. But what happens when, um, you know, this amount of work falls onto one person? So how can we work collaboratively to make that change to take the invisible labor and make it visible? So we can start 
redividing things uh, or redistributing things to make it more equitable within the home. And I think that's such an important discussion to have now because we are seeing that parents are just, you know, there's a lot of parents who are truly exhausted and need to recalibrate a little bit. And that's an important conversation to be having if you are a dual parent household. Oh, right. For sure. Right. There, there's all kinds of other uh, arrangements in terms of being a sole solo parent or having another parent outside of the home that you're having to arrange things with and different the schedules and different demands or being a solo parent and needing to rely on family. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it gets really, really complex. But kind of turning back right now to what you were saying, uh, so what are you seeing in terms of relationships within the home um, and things that people are needing in postpartum specifically around parenting or parental burnout? So since I work specifically from a resource standpoint and a prevention-based standpoint, the most important thing to me is the um, division of labor amongst, you know, if, if there are two parents within the house or there's a supportive ecosystem that one can rely on is assembling something early on so we can prevent problems down the line. And so what that would look like is, you know, writing everything down and taking inventory of what you actually do, what you do within the home and also within your professional atmosphere. So for some parents, you know, maybe they're considering a return to work, but it's not going to be right away, or they're looking at, you know, a gradual restart to going back to work. And so there's a lot of customization that goes into that. And it's really, I guess it's imperative that you set something up so that both parties involved can get sleep, can, you know, exercise or, you know, get their nutrient dense meal in able to do, you know, those self care things that we were talking about before and and invest in the things that you previously enjoy, like whether that's gardening, for me, gardening was a big thing. um, And something that I introduced to my youngest um, over the past 18 months, but it's, it's deciding how you want to redistribute things around the house um, to make it more equitable. And then aside from that, understanding physiologically how much has changed from, you know, development of baby onto the postpartum period. Um, And then, you know, things to look out for, which is, you know, things that we see on social media, a lot people are talking about more uh, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, um, signs and symptoms, things of that nature, and, and securing a therapist or a support circle by, you know, postpartum support international is so awesome with this, but being able to connect with somebody so you don't feel alone. Those are some of the most important things that I kind of push within my business is to one, work collaboratively and two, make sure your needs are being met by the resources that you acquire. So it's not just about quantity, it's the quality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. You could also come back to that sleep part. That's mm-hmm. absolutely something we talk a lot about here because it is that important. Um, and then navigating that, it, it can be tricky. Um, it can mm-hmm. be really tricky and it takes quite a bit of mm, trial and error, yeah. um, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that oh, yeah. what you're seeing as well? And what you're, uh, yeah. How are you supporting people through that? There was a conversation I had yesterday with a group of parents. We met up with a bunch of daycare parents and everybody was talking about, you know, their kids sleep schedules and some have new babies and some, you know, toddlers and and that sort of thing. Everyone had a different answer. Everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, had a different, oh, my kid started sleeping through the night at X point. My kid started sleeping through the night at two years. My kid Mm -hmm. still doesn't sleep through the night. And so I think the important thing to know is that everyone's sleep schedule is going to look differently. And also parents, you know, not every parent has the same work schedule. Um, You know, some have older siblings and you also have to work with that sleep schedule. And so it's to be flexible and also understand that your sleep training, if you decide to do it or however you organize it, is not going to be the the same as your neighbor. It's not going to be the same as your, your parent or your cousin or your aunt or, or your best friend. Um, It's going to look different. And so I think one of the most important things is, you know, nap when possible. Of course, you know, people say sleep when the baby sleeps, but that's not always an option. You know, there are other things going on um, and it's almost presumptive to say just nap, you know, when the baby naps, because you really don't know what that schedule looks like. And also, you know, develop a a collaborative sleep schedule with your partner. If you do have a dual parent household or um, dual support system within your household so that each individual can get some kind of sleep and chunks of sleep, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that's like four plus hours, et cetera, especially early on. Um, The study that I looked at recently said mothers who slept less than seven hours have shorter telomeres and their white blood cells. So that plays a role in protecting from degradation and information preservation of our genome. And this is a very dorky thing that I, I mention it because it's not just important to get the sleep, but it actually, it, impacts our immune system if we don't. And so if we look at it from that perspective, we put some more importance on it and say, this isn't just to get the sleep. It's so our overall body functions optimally. 
we need to figure out a way to obtain good sleep optimization. For sure, which which is also important for recovery and repair and, and all of that, mm-hmm. especially if there was a difficult birth. and Of course. Uh, but any kind of birth, I mean, that, that's a lot for your body to go through. Um, yeah. So certainly... And- Oh, I was just going to say, if you, if you do have family support, like local family support, some people have local family support and they have people who will come over and help with the baby, put that support system to work. You know, they're not there to just visit and hang out. It's time for you to sleep. I mean, really put, put them to work because this is about, you know, having the true support to be able to reinvest in yourself and you know, recover, like you were saying from, let's say there was a difficult labor, or you're just adjusting to baby sleep schedule, maybe you're pumping very frequently, you know, have that support, that supportive ecosystem in place so that you can get those periods of rest. It's not just for your baby's benefits for your own overall health to be able to make sure that you're getting that sleep in. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Sleep is, is so key. Have you checked out the pregnancy workbook yet? If you or somebody you know is entering into a new pregnancy and possibly feeling some jitters or anxiety or worry, this book is perfect for you or them. With loads of insights and information on how to cope with through pregnancy and anxiety, there's also quite a few tips and tricks and skills for you to use in your day-to-day. Pick up a copy today for yourself or someone you love to help ease the pregnancy journey. The Pregnancy Workbook can be found anywhere books are sold online, and any review that you can leave for the book is helpful so that other people can know if it's the right book for them. What are your top several things that you talk to parents about or resources that you give out for burnout in general or for parents? It can be new or expecting or, or at any point during the game. Sure. So one of them that I mentioned earlier is Postpartum Support International. I find that that is a great resource. There's so many different online support groups. There's a PSI hotline. You can connect with local resources. I think that's one to put in the bank to save for sure. Two is the phone number 211, which is mm-hmm. a confidential line. And that provides, you know, resource information related to all sorts of things. So there's, you know, household utility expenses, yeah. food programs, mental health, healthcare related expenses, disaster relief. So there, it's a number of things. That one, I think is, is really important. And also one that people may not know about because it's mm-hmm. not something that you really discuss at like an appointment. Hey, put this in, you know, right. in, your wallet in case you ever need it. Right. So that's one. And then also finding local support. And right now I'll say local and, and be flexible about that. You know, virtual is fine as well. Finding risk, you know, a community is so important. Finding other parents, you know, to for overall well being allows us to cultivate a real connection with people. And I will say, for many things that kind of irritate me about social media, the one really strong positive component of it is you can use it to really cultivate strong community and strong connections with other collaborators and find ways to get parents connected with other people. Scott is one of those people actually that you mm-hmm. had on. Um, you know, he's he's great. He talks a lot about paternal mental health. Um, right. And we've collaborated with him recently. We're going to collaborate with him again soon um, at going over the whole invisible labor 
discussion how parents can parents supportive parents can help new and expectant parents get through the you know division of that workload and so i would say those are the three top postpartum support international mm-hmm. and one and then that virtual or in person local support because it's just you know it's key to have other parents that you can kind of count on and not feel so isolated in a time that there is just such constant change that makes it difficult for parents to bond with one another. It's really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So there are three hallmarks of parental burnout and there's different stages. So uh, one is the overwhelming significant exhaustion related to one's parental role. And as I mentioned before, this can be more physical based on the age of the child, um, you know, how much you're physically running around. And then older, you know, maybe older kids, it could be a bit more emotional, navigating all the changes, you know, school changes, or just emotional changes that are occurring as children get older. There's also the emotional distancing from one's child or children. And then that third stage is a lack of joy or fulfilling pleasure in effectiveness in your parenting role. So it's a distinct change between the parent you were and the parent you you see yourself as now. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the three defining hallmarks of what parental burnout is. Sure. And, you know, I I think it's also important to differentiate a a little bit between um, like, how do you know if you're depressed or anxious or if you're kind of just quote unquote, just burnt out. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. burnout, burnout is real and it's its own thing for sure. Um, but, you know, if, if there are, if you're having low mood and lack of motivation for more than two weeks, um, including some other things like difficulty concentrating and crying or feeling really agitated and irritable, and those kinds of things are lasting for more than two weeks, it might be worthwhile to, you know, to look in to see if this is like depression versus burnout. Typically like a, uh, you know, a burnout can be helped by changing a couple of, of things uh, and, you know, having breaks and, and like having more sustainable, more sustainable lifestyle, I suppose I could say. But mm-hmm. for, for those feelings that like uh, feel intractable or feels like, is always going to feel this way. It can be worthwhile to maybe at that point, see a professional to, to just, just be sure. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's such an important point. One that I clarify with everybody is I am Mm -hmm. not a therapist. I think it is very important for people to, if, you know, if this is what they're experiencing to seek out professional help. I know that some people have found that it's been difficult to find, you know, therapeutic services locally. Um, so and hard that's right why, now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so hard. Um, it's why postpartum support, support international becomes a very important resource mm-hmm. um, to be able to get connected with somebody. Um, and as you mentioned, it, there's, there's layers to it. And so to yeah. be able to kind of dig into that and find out what you're truly feeling and where it comes from, you should seek out um, professional advice for it. Um, you know, I bring this up to define it and say, these are the things that people, you know, could be looking out for. Mm -hmm. There is a bright side to talking about these things and to having these open discussions, which we're noticing now. Mm -hmm. And I applaud people for having it because it's, this is a difficult discussion to have. For sure. This, 
this is not easy to say, hey, I might need some additional help here, especially if you've been handling it all. So talking about it, sharing our feelings is so important. Finding a person or people group that you can share and have this discussion with on a professional level or otherwise, really, really important. And reevaluating, as you mentioned, your stress. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you can do to take off your plate that are urgent versus not urgent? I talk about that. It's like the triage is so important here. Mm -hmm. What is considered actually absolutely urgent and what is non-urgent? And most things are not urgent. So let's take some of those things off of your immediate plate and do them Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Like dishes. Um, (laughs) Yes. Right. And that's, you know, like putting away your laundry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a laundry basket upstairs that's staring at me. Oh yeah. Yep. And that's okay. But being Mm -hmm. honest about this experience, I think is, is, you know, what we are seeing more and more lately is the honesty that's coming forward. You know, now that the the curtain has been pulled back, we're seeing more parents sharing their experiences. We're seeing more, more parents collaborating and brainstorming on new ways to address this. And there's a lot of power in that, in this collective voice that's coming forward in changing changing this and also making, you know, the small changes like, Yes, you don't need to do those dishes right now. You can do something else for yourself for 15, 20 minutes or whatever amount of time mm-hmm. that you need to do and, and just make it make that time for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I just any kind of drops in the bucket that you can add in that help increase your own capacity I as you know will will help reduce this feeling of burnout and your overall just well-being. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate all of those points and reminding us for reminding us that there, you can feel better. Um, Yes. Yes. You, (sighs) you, you definitely can. You can feel better. You can go seek if there's additional help that you need, if there's a supportive ecosystem that you need to cultivate, these things can happen small and gradually. We don't have to do these things overnight to make a a world of change, we can make small, gradual changes in what we're doing to be able to improve upon what what has gone on. I mean, for some people, years or past 18 months that we're seeing this message amplified. And then the whole the whole idea of the should, I should be doing yeah. this, I right. should be doing that right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we can throw those shoulds away. Yes. Um, <laughs> we don't need all that pressure. <laughs> it's too much pressure. And man, parents are, parents are doing amazing things right now. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that I can say, cause I don't want to end this. I don't want this to be a doom and gloom thing whatsoever. I want this to be, you know, informative and, and, um, helpful in whatever way it could be, but parents are doing so much right now. The capacity mm-hmm. at which everybody is working is just unbelievable. Um, right. To just have more self-compassion and saying, I'm doing the best that I can right now. And that is enough for what I can do. And I will, you know, look to other people and asking for help. is not a sign of weakness whatsoever. It's a sign of strength yeah. to be able to delegate to other people. And I just, I'm commending parents everywhere because the workload is just, it's high and parents are just awesome. Just awesome people. (laughs) Yes. Awesome humans. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's a beautiful note for us to wrap up on because it's, it's so true. And I hope that everyone can hear what you're saying and, and really feel that very deeply. 
And yeah, I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your work and your passion with us and giving the listeners some things to think about when it comes to parental burnout. I appreciate you, Dr. Kat. Thanks so much for having me be on. It's a pleasure. Thank you again, Shelly, for being with us. If you out there would like to be connected with her, you can go to runtellmom.com or Instagram at runtellmom. And if you know anybody who could use the support of this episode or this podcast, please do share so we can make sure everyone has the support they need. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.